When Nicolas Bidon, the CEO of Zaxxis, talks about his business these days, he talks more and more about becoming an outcome media company. As part of WPP and Group M, Zaxxis is a billion-dollar business, arguably the world's largest global programmatic media and technology platform, boasts some 3,000 clients across 47 markets. And this evolution to an outcome-based focus, Bidon says, represents a shift away from fairly crude metrics like CPMs to more real, specific business goals with an assist from emerging tech like artificial intelligence. If you're playing buzzword bingo, you may have already won. But I am Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and Bidon joins me on the AdLib podcast today to discuss all things Zaxxis. We will discuss how Zaxxis's offering has evolved and what the programmatic landscape looks like in 2019. He'll share where he sees growth and where he expects consolidation. We'll get a little into the weeds about arbitrage and transparency. We'll discuss a certain FBI investigation into agencies for engaging in non-transparent practices. And we'll break down the trend of brands bringing programmatic in-house and what that means for Zaxxis specifically. First, I would like to thank our sponsor, Quad. From its foundation and printing, Quad has transformed itself into a marketing solutions partner. When you're asked to do everything, ask Quad. And check out the new Quad at quad.com. That's Q-U-A-D.com. And now on to Nicolas Bidon. Nicolas Bidon. Très bien. Comme ça. <laughs> uh, Nicolas Bidon, CEO of Zaxxis. Nicholas, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you here thank you, Brian. on the podcast. So let's just start sort of broad strokes and then get a little deeper. Um, mm -hmm. Zaxxis is sort of a black box, I think, for a lot of our listeners. Before we turn on the mics, you were talking about how you are looking to sort of uh, make yourself better known in the, in the U.S. Or it's been a while since you guys have been out there. Can you explain... Uh, to our listeners who don't know Zaxxis, what, what you guys do. Sure. So at the core, what we do is really help large brands uh, get the best out of their digital investments. And we do so by leveraging talent, mm -hmm. uh, leveraging technology like programmatic, which is really the foundation of where we started, right. uh, increasingly machine learning and AI, mm -hmm. um, as well as data to really provide the best outcomes from digital media investments. Mm -hmm. So you can think of us as a bit of a mix between a, a technology company and an agency. Right. So the we, we talked before, before again, before turning on the mics, that you, you mentioned that there were sort of preconceived notions about what Zaxxis is and isn't. And um, uh, I, I would say that one of them is that you're a trading desk. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a oversimplification or ina inaccuracy? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, an oversimplification. Mm -hmm. I think also it, it gives that image of uh, financial markets, mm -hmm. which, which in some ways is helpful because mm -hmm. we do, like the financial markets, deal with very big volumes and sort of uh, real-time transactions. Uh, but on the flip side, I think what we do is uh, quite different. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, for instance, we have... Uh, part of our offering, which are more sort of prepackaged solutions. Uh, we have part of our offerings, which are more akin to services. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a pretty wide range of uh, business model underpinning all of it. Right. Can you give us an idea of your scale? Um, what, for example, were your billings in 2018? <laughs> I have to ask. I know you're not going to sure. answer that. But. <laughs> uh, no, no, I can, uh, you know, I can give you a, a, an indication. I mean, we do not, as part of 
right. you know, uh, uh, Group M mm-hmm. and WPP, we do not specifically report uh, the details on our financials. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, to give you an idea of scales, there's different ways you could go at it. One is, I say, the amount of investments that we uh, engage on behalf of our clients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been on record uh, mentioning that a few times. So it's over a billion dollar mm-hmm. on a yearly basis. So quite quite a significant scale. And then if you look at scale more in the um, the frame of people, uh, to give you an indication, so we have about 1,300 professionals uh, servicing clients in 47 different countries. Wow. Okay. And these tend to be um, what you would expect in a traditional agency. So, you know, account managers and, and client strategists, but also what you would expect more and more into a tech company. So data mm-hmm. scientists and engineers, which again, I think, gives a little bit our specificity within the WPP world of being at this crossroad mm-hmm. uh, between innovation and tech and, and traditional client services and agency. And, are, and, and when you talk about these 47 countries, are you, um, wh- where are you growing? Where are you seeing uh, opportunities um, uh, com- compared to the U.S., for example? Sure. Well, I think, you know, if you, if you look at where the growth is coming from in our business, but I think, frankly, it's across the overall sort of global economy, um, we see a lot of potential and growth in Asia Pacific, mm-hmm. which is not a surprise when you think that about half the global population basically sits in that region. Mm-hmm. There's countries like China, India, of course, mm-hmm. but even Indonesia, for instance, you know, I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, not many people know about Indonesia, but it's 260 million people mm-hmm. with a very stable government, an economy that's growing 5 to 8% every year and digital, which is still in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the penetration rate is about 30%. So there's massive potential still of growth for brands and therefore for marketing and digital marketing in particular. In Indonesia specifically. In Indonesia specifically, yeah. but like China as just an illustration. Right. I think overall APAC um, has been mm-hmm. for the last five years uh, the fastest growing part of our business. Gotcha. So, and how long, how long have you been CEO now? So I've been the CEO for two years, a mm-hmm. little bit more. This is uh, Brian Lesser, was your predecessor, went to... It was actually into... Brian Gleason. Oh, really? was Another Brian, another lots Brian. of Brian. A lot of Brian's. It was Brian Lesser first, then uh, Brian Gleason, and uh, myself uh, about two, starting from two years ago. And yeah, so I've been here for two years as well, so <laughs> happy anniversary. Uh, what? Um, uh, where were you before that? Uh, Before that, I was at Yahoo. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I stayed at Yahoo for uh, about five years in various leadership roles for specifically around Europe. So looking after the European regions. And uh, one thing that I found interesting coming to Zaxis for me, who had been more on the publisher Mm -hmm. side of things, was to see uh, the other half of the ecosystem, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, closer to advertisers and closer to brands. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about that half. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in, the, in the olden days, you would have media departments at ad agencies like a JWT or Ogilvy & Mather or whatever. Mm-hmm. They would buy media for a client, earn a 15% commission, and everything would be transparent. Things are a lot fuzzier today, and we can talk about that fuzziness and why or, or how, how you see that fuzziness. But in, mm-hmm. in your case, you're buying media or, or Zaxxas, not you personally, uh, as, a, as a principal and essentially reselling it to clients, making a profit on the transaction that isn't always clear to that client. Would you agree with that characterization? 
Yeah, I think I would agree with that characterization because if you look at what we're doing, and I want to be very clear about this, is we're not just reselling media. What mm. we're doing is using media as one of the core elements of what we do and then leveraging our technology, leveraging data, mm. leveraging our expertise to transform it into something that we think is much more tied to a client-specific outcome. Right. So, so, the, the, so, so it it's a bit into- more... It's a bit more of a transformation work. I think when you say reselling media, it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, we buy media, we put a markup on it, mm-hmm. which is not transparent, and then we resell it with no value added, right. which is obviously very far from uh, what we do. Right. So there are a list of other services. You said transformation, so you're in the consulting game in, in a way. Uh, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. well, that, that's another angle, and I'll come mm-hmm. back to that uh, mm-hmm. if we spoke about in-housing in particular, because I think it, it, it does uh, <laughs> provide opportunities for yeah. experts like Zaxis to, yeah. uh, you know, to come up with consultative services around this. But, uh, you know, if I go back to that transformation, really mm-hmm. what we do is to um, try to deliver what we call specific digital outcomes mm-hmm. for clients in a way that you cannot buy those outcomes in the market. Right. And what I mean by that is if you look at how most of the media is still bought to this day in digital, it's relying on very old metrics. So things like CPM, you know, Mm. cost per thousands, which I think were created in 1994, so not exactly uh, uh, new, and really which are based more on delivery. Um, You know, CPM is like, hey, what's the cost of showing my ad a thousand times. Yep. There's no like tie to was this an effective use of my ad budget? It's very Did much it deliver? falling out of vogue at the moment, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think I think you know what we try to do is to say rather with our clients, mm-hmm. what would be a, an adequate measure in mm-hmm. digital that would tie closer to what you're trying to achieve, and what they try to achieve might be a conversion. If it's an e-commerce type of, uh, you know, setting, it might be like a, a test drive if it's a car manufacturer. So there's very different ways. So different metrics for different clients. That's correct. And right. then basically we're transparent on how we're going to price that outcome mm-hmm. with our clients and make sure that we deliver, uh, you know, the best possible return for them. So you were, you were uh, Zaxis was the first to come out and say that you would do principal deals and arbitrage, sort of take it or leave it. Um, how have brands reacted to that, and did it solve, in your mind, uh, uh, the, a transparency problem? So I think there's a lot in your in yeah. your questions, yeah, yeah, <laughs> lots yeah. of different terms. I'm yeah. trying to unpack it a little bit. Yeah. So I think first there's that notion of risk, which yeah. is interesting. So you're talking about taking, um, you know, position, mm-hmm. right? And it is one thing we do is, um, you know, when we feel there is specific. Uh, media inventory that is good at driving a specific type of outcomes for our clients. And we think this inventory may not be readily available in the quantities that we need or that our clients will need. We do take advanced position. By doing that, we guarantee the best potential supply for our clients. And we also can leverage the trade and the size of our cumulative book of business to uh, uh, secure, you know, better rates of obviously one of the key raw ingredients, which is uh, which is media. So it is one of the specificity of our model, mm-hmm. but it is because we have that model of transforming what's, uh, you know, sold on a certain metric into something else that we can take that financial risk up front mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, resell uh, outcomes closer to our clients' business on the on the back end. 
So I think that's you know again our our um, our model, and I think it it's. Um, cuts a little bit through the noise of transparency when it can be shown as accountable. Mm. Again, if you agree clearly what's the value you're going to deliver to me and can measure that value, um, the whole discussion about, you know, what's the cost of all the different ingredients, what's the margin in the middle, etc., I think becomes less important. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's not one size fits all. Mm. I think we have clients who are very comfortable trading with us on that basis. And we have clients who would rather, um, you know, have a, a more, tr I would say, uh, uh, a different model in terms of working with us so that it gives them assurance that they know for every dollar spent how much of that goes towards the publisher or the media inventory. I know that, that you, you may not be able to talk about clients, specific clients, but mm -hmm. can you <laughs> talk, can you give a specific <laughs> example of... of of the different models playing out? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I would say the majority of our clients um, really still work with us on that first model. Mm -hmm. So around outcome media and, um, you know, measuring, agreeing up front and measuring the performance that we deliver. Mm -hmm. um, for the second part, where we work on a percentage of media model, which gives client assurance about, again, the percentage of working media that goes uh, to their marketing plan. Mm -hmm. We have a few clients for which we've done that, and I would expect that we will have more as, uh, um, you know, in the next 6 to 12 months. Mm -hmm. so, so people who I've spoken with in this space uh, have uh, characterized uh, you guys as, as slightly an opaque marketplace, mm -hmm. but you're, you're promoted as brand safe. Um, what percentage of inventory do you buy as quote unquote safe? And how, how are you making this happen? Yeah, a hundred percent of the inventory we buy is safe. So just to be very clear, while, uh, all the different financial components that mm -hmm. go into delivering an outcome may not be fully transparent to our clients mm -hmm. because of the business model I mentioned, uh, we are 100% transparent in terms of where we show our clients ad. Mm -hmm. So all of our clients can see, a, you know, post-campaign delivery reports, which clearly shows where their impressions ran. Mm -hmm. And we have the utmost um, confidence that we do not show ads in places that are either fraudulent or that, you know, could put our client's brand at risk. Right. No. Um, and the way we do this, just to maybe expand on that mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, there's multiple multiple ways. One is, of course, we have you know blacklist where we just uh, refuse to be working with certain actors in the space. Mm -hmm. We also use content verification technologies, which can proactively block an ad if we feel the content on the page is um, inadequate for a particular brand. And then we also have specific whitelists, so uh, a list of sites that can be tailored client by client depending on their um, I would say, tolerance for the context in which they are shown. Mm -hmm. And and there's a range, like all things, right? I, I mean, again, ask. we work with very um, premium luxury brands, uh, you know, watches that cost more like $30,000 a piece. Mm -hmm. um, we want to keep that very high-end contextual environment. And so we have a very short white list of sites that they, they approve, if you want, as part of that. And on the flip side, we work with people that are maybe more performance oriented and that therefore a little more uh, open as mm -hmm. long as it's brand safe and fraud free. 
uh, to work with with more long tail type of publication, is as this, long as it delivers the performance they expect. Is this a conversation you find yourself having more and more with brand safety? No, you know, it, it's funny. I think I had this conversation probably more like two, three years ago. I mm. think two, three years ago, um, you know, there was the overall marketplace, I would say, was, was probably uh, um, less buttoned up than it is now. Mm. And I think it was the time when clients started to understand some of the, the potential challenges in programmatic around these topics. Um, but I think if you look at everything that has been done uh, as an industry from ads.txt, uh, from, you know, again, more clarity as to um, domain spoofing and how to fight it. Uh, I feel brands are more comfortable now. Um, ironically, though, most of the issues that recently coming from uh, a brand safety are on the walled garden. Right. I mean, you've you probably read about, and... uh, you know, uh, Facebook getting under pressure mm -hmm. with, with obviously the, the horrible events in, in New Zealand, mm -hmm. um, you know, YouTube. Recurringly in the news as well about some of their channels being not not really suited for brands. So I would say these tend to be the areas where most of the issues are not so much about you know a brand showing up into a long-tailed website with uh, objectionable content because mm -hmm. there's many ways to weed those out. Gotcha. You you guys have and you have in this conversation pitched your business as outcomes focused. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any backlash that you're seeing to s surveillance advertising? Um, do you see outcomes requiring one to one uh, targeted advertising? Mm. No, I think that's what that's what's interesting is. Uh, in a way, this focus on outcome has liberated us a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, where we started seven years ago was as a programmatic audience company. Mm -hmm. So the pitch to brands was all about leveraging programmatic to reach those micro segments or even, you know, down to very few individuals that fits very specific criteria. And I think to do that, of course, you require a lot of data around the individuals and you, you probably run the risk to... Um, uh, you know, just get them a little bit on the wrong side if mm -hmm. they feel the message is too targeted to who they are. I think what um, the outcome focus has enabled us to do is to leverage many other things that can drive performance, whether it's time of day strategies, whether it's contextual strategies or supply optimization to deliver the outcome. And audience is just one example or one vector that mm -hmm. can drive audience, in, sorry, that can drive performance in certain cases, but it doesn't have to be. Gotcha. Um, uh, meant to sort of segue into this a little earlier, uh, but now's as good a time as any. Um, the, 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 the FBI, as we know, is conducting an investigation into concerns of allegations that uh, agencies engaged in non-transparent practices, including uh, cash rebates from media vendors, not passing them along to clients. This is not new news. Um, but the, the investigation is ongoing. Have you guys heard from the FBI? Have you, you been subpoenaed at all? Uh, no, I haven't heard anything as far mm -hmm. as Zaxis is concerned and, you know, nothing that uh, I can talk about because right. we haven't heard. Okay. <laughs> Nothing that Zaxis has been uh, called, but do you know anyone who, <laughs> who no, has? I don't know. I, I yep. couldn't comment on that. Okay. Um, has uh, let's, let's talk about, because you did flick at it, the, the in-housing trend, the trend sure. of marketers bringing programmatic in-house. Has that affected you negatively at all, or is this where your sort of transformation play comes in and you can advise them on how to do it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we haven't, 
lost a lot of clients who, because of in-housing, but we've certainly seen a lot of uh, um, inquiries, so to say, from some of our clients in terms of asking us, you know, how can we, if we want to go down that path, what are some of the pitfalls, what's realistic, mm-hmm. um, you know, how could we uh, make sure we can attract the best talent. What should be our tech strategy and our tech stack? Mm-hmm. How do we leverage our first-party data? And so it, it really gave us, I think, the idea that, you know, one of the next opportunity of growth for Zaxis will be to leverage all the expertise we have mm-hmm. from being specialists in the space for the last seven years and package it into, um, you know, specific consulting engagement or even training. You don't um, you don't worry about putting yourself out of business by <laughs> no because I, I think uh, you know I think again mm-hmm. the biggest misconception mm-hmm. I think is that programmatic is easy <laughs> and again you know we've we've it's done it set it and forget it no we, no it's not but but again I think uh, part of the vendors in the space would right. like you to believe that right. would like you to believe that. You know, you can have one big sort of form mm-hmm. where you say, how much is your budget? What do you want to do? Click one button and then magically everything happens in the background. Mm-hmm. The reality is, you know, it's a very fragmented and complex space and it's difficult to really get the effectiveness, um, you know, out of those digital budgets. Uh, we've done it for seven years, so we know what we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. getting brand safety right is difficult. Uh, getting like a common view of your data across different world garden and mm. different type of site is difficult. Getting the right attribution is difficult. So we felt, you know, there's certain things that clients uh, will want to own and we'd rather advise them mm. and still remain their partners for the rest of the activities that maybe they don't want to spend their time on. Do you lease technology? I when you say lease, what do you I mean, mean? Do you have do we uh, leverage third party technology or or do you have tech of your own? That oh, you, we do that, that you lease out. Or? So we do. We uh, so we do a mix of both, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, there's there's some very big company in the space which provide different sort of point solutions at uh, various point of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, demand side platforms, you know, DSPs. Um, companies like Xander, like Trade Desk, um, DBM, you know, it would be, I think, lunacy for our clients or for ourselves to try to replicate that tech. Mm-hmm. So likewise, we try to be the best at leveraging the tech mm-hmm. rather than building it. Gotcha. But on the flip side, there's very specific areas where we think we can add value because, um, you know, it's maybe a little more on the front foot in terms of innovation. And uh, one such area, for instance, is um, a platform we started invested in about three years ago called Copilot. Mm-hmm. And what Copilot does is it uh, leverages basically artificial intelligence and machine learning um, to customize specific algorithm uh, that are fine-tuned to deliver an outcome that's uh, key to one of our clients, mm-hmm. but again, not readily available to be bought on the marketplace. Okay. And we feel the the future of the space in terms of programmatic will be more and more automated. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be innovators in this and uh, bring these kind of advantages to our clients, even though the big platforms have largely ignored that space so far. Well, so as it becomes more and more automated, is there still 
room for humans. And, and oh yes, <laughs> we, sh- we sure uh, hope so. But uh, that's why you know we called it copilot because uh, I think it reflects it well what we're trying autopilot. to do. Right. It's not autopilot, and the same way you know. I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable boarding a plane Mm -hmm. that's autonomous 100% with no pilot. Um, You know, I don't think our clients would would feel comfortable about that. Um, I think, you know, what we're trying to do is to save time for our employees so they can focus on innovation, Mm -hmm. whether it's about new channels like uh, digital out of home or connected TV or whether it's around focusing more around the creative strategy, for instance, which, again, I think we're finding quite hard to automate. Yeah, so, yeah, creative, uh, informed, programmatic. Exactly. So I think AI, you know, I like to say sometimes it's augmented intelligence Mm. as opposed to artificial. It's about leveraging tools to um, make people smarter and free their time or their thinking time on things that add more value. Great. Um, back back to the, the in housing question. Um, is, sure. do, is there a um, do you see a a, a break even point where uh, marketers realize or should realize size wise that it's just not efficient to try to run their own operation, even if it means uh, not surrendering a margin to third party tech operator? You know, is there a size at which that? Yeah, no, I, I I think it's a question of size, and it's a question also of uh, DNA. I would mm-hmm. say almost. I think you know, if you look at um, marketers like Netflix, which are both marketers, um, but also have you know wealth of data around um, you know what their typical audience likes in terms of media consumptions and taste, and in general, just have that uh, you know West Coast tech company sort of DNA of mm-hmm. having their own engineers and data scientists and, and, and marketing experts. And, and don't like talking to us as much as, <laughs> as, <laughs> as <laughs> really. You know, I think, I think if you look at these kind of companies or yeah. even direct to consumer brands, right? Mm-hmm. Brands that really started as digital native and acquired their first clients via, um, you know, digital channels. I think these kind of brands will be more suited, mm-hmm. regardless of size, to uh, you know internalize some of the operations. Uh, whereas you know, you take uh, if you're a, um, a traditional CPG company, um, I think you know it will be difficult for you to potentially attract the kind of talent in that space um, that want to constantly be challenged, working on the cutting edge and get also a critical mass of people that are similar to them. I think they might find it hard to work in those cultures. So I do think there will be more in-housing in certain areas because clients want to take ownership of their data and they want to understand better what works, what doesn't, be more reactive as everything is faster Mm -hmm. in our world. But, you know, I think it will be very, very few that actually internalize everything. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the future is more of a mix of different models, um, part consulting, part, uh, you know, externalization of uh, a small in-house team, Mm -hmm. uh, and part outcome and performance-based, right? Do do your clients use multiple media agencies typically? Uh, Yes, Mm -hmm. most of them do in one way or another, especially... um, you know, if you look at it from a global perspective, mm-hmm. it's quite rare to uh, to have a brand consolidate all of their media buying globally with, with one. one agency. Mm-hmm. In in speaking of globally, how how disruptive has GDPR been for you guys? The regulation in Europe. Yeah, I think I think it's been uh, 
overall, on the whole, I would say less disruptive than maybe anticipated first. Mm -hmm. I think there was a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a Y2K sort of syndrome <laughs> yeah. of people thinking yeah. that, you know, after that, that deadline the from the European end. Union, like, you know, the whole industry would, would shatter. Mm -hmm. I think the reality is a little more nuanced. Mm -hmm. um, but it has, you know, really um, meant a lot of work, uh, specifically for Zaxis and for others in the space in terms of uh, auditing, you know, the, the provenance of the different data that uh, we leverage and buy uh, for some of our brands in terms of also making sure that the data we collect is fully consented, uh, which is one of the key precepts of uh, GDPR, mm -hmm. and also giving, obviously, uh, which we already did, but easy mechanism for people to opt out of any type of, um, you know, data collection or targeting that they don't feel comfortable with. And now and now you have that sort of blueprint for regulation if it pops up in other parts of the world. I mean, we're already seeing it. The the, the California privacy law, for mm -hmm. example, is that where you, you had a game plan ready to go. Yeah. Well, I think at least, you know, we know exactly how, which team to engage across the organizations. Um, I think, you know, we can be a little smarter in terms of trying to understand Mm -hmm. what is likely to happen or not what is likely to happen <laughs> are we seeing more are we going to see more regulation uh, well i think you know that's hard for me to comment on because mm -hmm. the the regulation regulatory sorry landscape in the us is, is certainly quite complex i think mm -hmm. at the moment from what i understand there's quite a lot of uh, for instance, discussions about, you know, should this be federal? If it's federal, is it based on that California, you know, approach? Mm. Does that go far enough? Does that go, you know, too far? Um, so lots of discussions around that. But do you think it goes far enough or too far in California? I think the devil is in the details. I think as always, it's it's and that's what makes these kind of things difficult is mm. You know, the key print, the lawmakers, I think, have the best intention in yeah. terms of, of doing the right thing. But when it comes down to interpreting, uh, sometimes whether a specific implementation is compliant or not or what works, um, you know, I think it, it's, it's quite difficult. And we will have, um, I think, to continue to see how the regulators, whether in Europe or in the U.S., um, you know, enforce specific part of the legislation. And, and it also creates sometimes uh, consequences that are not... Uh, intended? Yeah, that are, yeah <laughs> not intended. They're almost a little bit counterintuitive in a way, Have right? Have you seen any that you could point to? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you know, certainly from a GDPR perspective, I think it's it's reinforced the uh, dominance of the... the the players who have a direct-to-consumer relationship mm. at scale. And, and I think, you know, thinking very much of the, the global platform in that in that space. And so you find a little bit of a contradiction there where on one end, the European Union, I think you probably saw the fine uh, in the news today that, that Google mm -hmm. got based on some of their search practices. So on one end, there's this will of, you know, making competition a, a fair level uh, playing field. But on the flip side, on the privacy side of things, you know, they've reinforced, I would say, their, their dominant position. So mm. it, it's complex, basically. Mm. Um, there has been some talk of uh, the economy slowing down, uh, if not a full-on recession on the horizon. Um, uh, do, are you hearing any economic slowdown talk uh, in general? And if so, what happens 
uh, too programmatic when when and if ad spending goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you know it's very hard to comment on my, the future. You know, my, yeah. the future. If yeah. I knew, I would be playing the stock markets yeah. and uh, benefiting from it. I think. Yeah, it's like Brexit, right? Trying to predict. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm. I live in London and based in the UK. I've been trying to see what was going to happen for right. the last two years and a half, and you know, we're a couple of weeks away from the the deadline, and it's, it's still f- anyone's guess what's going to happen. Fiasco, I think, is the word. Fiasco is a is probably an adequate word. <laughs> so I think it's hard to, you know, same thing with the trade war going on between China, China. and the US. You know, it's difficult to really understand what's going to be the impact on our clients and on world economy in general. Um, but, you know, the, the optimist in me, because I'm a positive guy, is um, saying that, you know, if that happens, that will continue down the, the trend we're seeing about client wanting more accountability from their spend. And again, I think that fits well with our positioning uh, of outcome media and mm-hmm. trying to cut through the noise, simplify, and make programmatic more accountable. So you guys are part of WPP, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Group M, uh, do you see a world in which it will combine all of its buying into one entity, maybe keep planning under different branded umbrellas? That's, uh, again, very hard for me to comment on. It's mm-hmm. probably a, a question that would be best suited to uh, Kelly okay. Clark, Group uh-huh. M CEO, or, or Mark Reed. Mark Reed, yeah. Speaking yeah. of Mark Reed, uh, he's on a consolidation tear. Um, do you see uh, that affecting you guys at all? Um, you know, again, it's hard to speculate yeah. about the future. I think well, what, gives me, what oh. gives me confidence, again, is I think Zaxis uh, positioning and sort of history, which has always been as being the innovators within the group when it comes to some of the, the cutting edge digital um, tech, whether it's programmatic and now again machine learning and algorithmic trading i i think mark is going to be busy with many other things before uh, before it will impact his access but again who, who knows, knows? <laughs> <laughs> how are things have things changed under him at all yet uh, yeah, I think I think you know there's a sense of uh, enthusiasm overall about uh, people seeing um, a, a clear focus on simplifying for clients and making it easy for them to get to the best the group has to offer. Um, and I, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of uh, the WPP strategy days that that Mark ran with uh, some of the top leaders of the company in, in November in Brooklyn. And again, the vision he has, I think, very, for the group. Very hip of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the vision he has for the group, I think, is uh, is the right one. And then, like everything else, it's down to execution. Right. Yeah. I mean, WPP and like holding companies across the board really are under enormous uh, financial pressure. And I'm certain that your fees are as well. Um, how do you deliver profit margins to the holding company at a time when fees are under pressure? I think you know to again maintain uh, um, to maintain uh, a healthy sort of business. Mm. Uh, you need to always show to your clients that you can deliver better value, right? So mm. you know it's how do we make their budget more efficient? Right. And I think if you're able to save one of your clients, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars by making their plan more effective. Uh, you probably have a reasonable ground to sit down with that client and discuss about remunera- sorry, remuneration mm-hmm. and sharing the upside that you've delivered. Yeah, it's hard, so, 
hard for me to say too, remuneration. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry about that. Uh, so it's faster, cheaper, good, essentially. <laughs> or faster, cheaper, better. That's what everyone... Well, that's what, you know, a client <laughs> wants, whether or not, uh, you know, I, I think there's that old diagram about... Choose two, but you can't. Choose two, choose but you, you can't have, have three. I think there's, there's a bit of that going on. And again, you know, the biggest misconception is that what we do is easy. Right. And therefore, we should be able to do it with less people, with less investment in technology, mm. like Copilot and others. The reality is it's not easy. Mm. And I think it will take maybe sometimes a bit of time for people to make their own experience, um, to realize where the value is, mm. and uh, maybe come back to uh, to the table to have further discussions. Great. Uh, any parting thoughts? Uh, it's programmatic in 2019. You know, where are we, where are we going? What's Where is this year going to take us? Um, I think, as always, you know, I'm sure it will be a very eventful year. I think if I look at some of the interesting things going on, um, I said there's no question that programmatic is still uh, gaining a foothold into new channels, whether, you know, it's connected TV or digital out of home. I think programmatic audio is a fairly big part of the space now as well. So I think we'll continue to see that. Mm -hmm. um, I think from an innovation standpoint, it will be very much about how to leverage exciting technologies like machine learning and AI mm -hmm. to deliver uh, better results for clients. Um, and I think at a macro level within the space, we'll see more consolidation. There are still way too many companies that are what I call feature companies, mm -hmm. which you know provide like a very small portion of what you need to be successful in that space. Just and the, probably you're talking about the Lumascape and yeah, uh, the Lumascape and everything else. And I, and I mm -hmm. think you know honestly don't uh, justify long-term the kind of uh, rates they take in the ecosystem and the noise and confusion mm -hmm. uh, that I think sometimes I feel as an industry, we've done a very bad job of minimizing so and love to talk about things that don't really matter. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, thanks for talking about things that, that do matter uh, today. <laughs> if you have anything else you want to say, no, no just chance. thank you, Brian, for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Nicola. <laughs> All right. I want to thank Nicola Bidon for joining me today. He is the CEO of Zaxis. I am Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and you've been listening to AdLib. We have a couple of new podcasts coming out under the AdLib umbrella, if you want to keep an eye out for it. Marketer's Brief will be spun out into its own podcast starting next week. And maybe you've heard AdBlock, the first episode of which came out earlier this week. Stay tuned for more along those lines and hope you subscribe to all of them when they're all available. In the meantime, I would like to thank our sponsor, Quad. Quad's experience helping clients execute complex marketing programs drove its transformation from a printer to a strategic and creatively driven powerhouse. You can learn more about the new Quad at quad.com. That's Q-U-A-D.com. And you can check us out at adage.com. That's A-D-A-G-E.com or adage. Definitely not idiom.com, but at age, that works. Uh, you can subscribe to us at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, wherever there are good podcasts. This episode was produced, as most of them are, by Max Sternlich. Come back next week. Tell a friend. Give us stars. See you soon.